0: Lord, you truly are great and awesome. Lord, words can't even begin to describe. And Lord, we, we do desire that, that when we walk this walk that you place before us, when we live out the life that you have given to us, Lord, that truly others would see and take notice. Not of us, Lord, but of you. Lord, we, we stand in awe of you. We thank you for the amazing privilege that it is to sing your praises and how you invite us into this relationship. Not, not as, as any earthly king would, but as a father. And you desire for us to, to grow in our knowledge of you and to and to grow in our relationship with you, you truly do desire to to walk with us and to be a part of every detail in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that, that intimate love that you have poured out all over us. Lord, as we now spend a few minutes in your word tonight, we do ask that you would have your way in us. Lord, that even in our Our time tonight, Lord, that you would just draw us that much closer. Have your way here. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good evening. Please be seated. Take out your Bibles, please, and open them up to the book of Judges, chapter 11. Judges chapter 11, we started chapter 11 last week, didn't quite get done, looking at Jephthah, the judge that God raised up at this particular time, again in a time when the, the children of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and we we spoke of his past, he was uh, he was the the son of a, of a prostitute his his father having other sons and they they pushed him away and because of of his mother and cast him out and Then, when things got tough, they went and got him to come and rescue him get, rescue them from the 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 sons of Ammon the ammonites they had come and they were attacking the area of Gilead, which is the the, the, the area of Israel that was on the east side of the Jordan River. Remember Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they, they decided to stay over on that side, that, ha- that part of the, didn't, not crossing over into the promised land. Well, that's where the Gileadites were, and, and they came and were attacking that area. And what Jephthah did at first, and kind this is where we were finishing up last week, He reached out to them and said, What what is it? basically, what's your problem with us? Why are you coming here against us? And they said, well, we want the land that you took from us. And he goes through the histories. We didn't take the land from you. And gives the history of the fact that that all they wanted to do was cross through the land. And the people that were there at the time, which weren't the Ammonites, by the way, but the people who were there at the time, they came out and, and fought against Israel. Israel defeated them. And then they moved into that land then. And he says, by the way, here it is 300 years later, and now, now you're coming? And trying to reason with them. And I wanted to start there tonight, because last week I thought of, of discussing this, and because of time I didn't, and uh, this week I feel it, it is it is important to look at this in a little more detail, even bringing it up to the time that we live in now, because here we see this story, and reading it on the outside again, we look at it, we say, well, that, that's just common sense. Why in the world would, would anybody think that they have a right to this? And, and because Israel then, they came out to fight, Israel won the war, they took the land, and, and all of this stuff. But the, we live in an amazing time. And I don't know if you, if you saw this recently, but Israel, or I'm sorry, the United Nations just came out with a list of the, the the top offenders when it comes to human rights violations in in the world, and who would you think would top that list North Korea maybe they had one Syria they had one Iraq they had or Iran they had one Israel had four Israel <laughs> And the, the the world looks at Israel as as oppressors, as occupiers, right? I mean that that you hear this expansionist thing. And I think it's important because especially, you know, a lot of you would would have heard this history, probably accurately taught many years ago in schools, but revisionist history now tells a totally different story. The children in school today aren't hearing this. The the news certainly isn't telling the truth about what is, what is happening, Israel looks, is looked at it the, as the villain. They're pr- trying to bring war crimes against Israel for the battle last year that when the terrorists were crossing, digging tunnels, coming underneath, blowing themselves up in Israel, they're trying to bring war crimes against Israel because of that. I think it's important that we take just a minute and look at the history, the recent history of Israel. If we look at a present day map of Israel, there's this tiny little sliver of land that Israel occupies, that the Jews occupy. They're surrounded by 24 Arab nations that have way more land, 600 times more land than Israel does. And Again, I say, you know, if if they're expansionists and taking over, I'd like you to show me some evidence of that. All they're trying to do is live peaceably in the land that they're in. Palestine, what was called Palestine, going back to the time, back into the even mid-late 1800s, there was not a single people group that claimed that area as their homeland dating all the way back to the Jews, which did for 3,000 years, we're studying that now, they are cl- them claiming it as their land. The Jews began to return to the area in the 1880s, and it was swampland. A large portion of it's swampland. We talked a lot of this in our recent tour to Israel when we go up on the Golan Heights. And there was mosquito infestation, malaria. The Jews moved in, started planting trees to suck up the swampland. The mosquitoes started going away. Arabs started moving into the country because there was employment opportunities and because the, the, the living it was a great place to live. I mean, it was becoming a beautiful place. Because of all that the Jews did when they came in. Well, in 1923, after you know, all, the, Britain now is in control of that land after the war and everything, and it's divvied up. 75% goes to Transjordan, which means across the Jordan, so on the east side of the Jordan, Israel got, or the Jews, it wasn't called Israel yet, got, got 25% of the land. But the Arabs wanted 100% of the land. They didn't want the Jews to have any of it. Well, Britain kept order for a while, but then when oil started being discovered in the Arab nations and everything, they kind of turned a blind eye away from it. So Israel realized that they're going to need to defend themselves, so they started putting together an armed, armed forces. In 1947, the British handed over this mess that was there to the United Nations. The United Nations divided the remaining 25% that the Jews occupied and gave more of it to Jordan. So it's no longer called Transjordan. They now have even more of the land, and including, including Jerusalem. The Jews accepted the original drawn-up plans that the United Nations brought. The Arabs rejected it. They wanted 100% of the land. They didn't want the Jews to have any land whatsoever. So on May 14th, 1948, the Jews declared the state state of Israel their own state. They they said, this is our land. They declared themselves a nation. On the very next day, Egypt, Transjordan, Syria, Lebanon, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, and Yemen attacked Israel. The next day after they declared their independence. In 1948, 1949, the War of Independence. The Arabs living in Israel at the time were told by the Arab countries to leave get out of Israel. They said, don't worry, we'll take care of these Jews in short order and you can move right back in. Well, problem. The Jews won the war. (laughs) Israel won. And the Arabs who stayed and didn't leave, Israel immediately welcomed as citizens. Arab citizens in their land. They did not force them to leave. They said, you are welcome to stay here as citizens. Jordan ended up with the territory as I, include, as I said now, including the Jerusalem area. They were, they, they'd left it that, that way. In May 1967, Egypt, Jordan and Syria mobilized their three forces to again attack Israel, because they wanted 100 percent of the land. They didn't want the Jews to have any land. Well, Egypt did, or Israel did a preemptive strike, hit the Egyptian air force before it ever took off the ground, wiped out their planes while they're still, still on the ground. By the way, saving many Egyptian pilots' lives, right? <laughs> they never got in the air. Then, not knowing, Syria then attacks from the north. Uh, uh, Jordan attacks from the, the center. The war goes on. For, for uh, six days, the six-day war, Israel again wins. God brought about a great victory. There is no way, again, that Israel should have won these wars if you look at it in any other way other than the hand of Almighty God taking care of Israel. Jerusalem is back in the hands, Jerusalem then takes, is now back in the hands of the Jews. It's part of Israel now. 850,000 Arabs in the West Bank and Gaza, that area now, are part of Israel Israel is called occupiers. <laughs> that they're, they're, these, these that are staying are called refugees. They're not refugees. <laughs> Israel has allowed them to stay there and to live there. That All of this, again, I remind you, was by the action of the Arab nations coming against Israel. Israel did not attack. Israel did not do anything but defend itself. Israel's <laughs> only guilty of telling the Arabs who were ready to leave, don't leave. They were, ready to leave all, they were ready to move out and leave the country because their, their, their brothers had been, had been defeated. Israel said, you know what, you don't have to go. And they, they can you imagine the shock of those that are there? I mean, flipping the coin. They've been chanting, kill the Jews, throw them into the sea. That was the chant, the war chant as they were coming. Israel defeats them and they say, you know what, you don't have to leave. You can stay here. We want to live peaceably. We want to build bridges. We want to work this out. They educated. They opened up educational systems. I mean, it's an amazing thing when you're in Israel and you see it. All of the things that the Jews do, that Israel does and provides for the Arab people that are still living there. And there are many. But again, imagine the nerve, defending yourself and and living in the land that is rightly yours, that has been handed over. But again, the world tells a different story today. And it, it, it's, it's amazing to me. Israel is considered bullies because they defend themselves. Human rights violations, and unfortunately, and again, probably I guess the saddest part for maybe all of us in this room right now, our own country is distancing ourselves from Israel. It's not gonna end good for us if we do. Because God, God, made, God, God said, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. Well, little history lesson. <laughs> because we see it kind of played out here, right? They're saying the same type of thing. We want the land. We want it back. You, you occupiers. Jephthah says in verse 24 of chapter 11, whatever the Lord our God has driven out before us, we will possess it. And that's, that's again, what has happened now. Well, he didn't want to, he didn't want to fight. Verse 27, I therefore have not sinned against you, but are doing, you are doing me wrong by making war against me. May the Lord judge, judge today between the sons of Israel and the sons of Ammon. But the king of the sons of Ammon disregarded the message which Jephthah sent him. Verse 29, now the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so that he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, then he passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he went on to the sons of Ammon. Verse 30 says, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the sons of Ammon. It shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. This is something Jephthah does, probably obviously, I believe, if we look at the history of Jephthah that we know of to this point, done with a right heart. I mean, I, I believe he was trying to do the right thing, but we're going to see that this is an extremely foolish vow at the end of the chapter. And, and in it, there's, there's a lesson that we need to learn. One of the things that I went back through and read this, I mean, why would you make a vow like that? God promised you, you know what, God never spoke to Jephthah. So he didn't have what, what Gideon had. You know, and and so, but he's moving forward in faith, and we've seen that throughout. But just at the end, he says, God, I'm gonna make a deal with you. I'm gonna bargain with you. And whenever we do that, we're trying to manipulate God. We're trying to say, God, if you'll do something for me, I'll do something for you. The problem is, when we do that, we're making a commitment. And the problem with a commitment is, is that we're still in charge. (laughs) We can commit to do a lot of things. We can commit to do a lot of good things. We can commit to wake up every morning and read two chapters in the Bible. The problem is the commitment still relies on us. And I think the other flip side of that, that, that we need to, again, fully embrace in this, is that a commitment says, Lord, I'm gonna give something of mine to you. What we should do, instead of committing is surrendering, and when we surrender, we say, Lord, it's all yours. Everything I am, everything I have is yours. Moving forward in faith, instead of trying to bargain with God and maybe manipulate the circumstances, leave with, again, that prayer, God, your will be done. Your will be done, and whatever that is, God, I'm all in. I'm all yours. Well, again, I don't think that this was done in any any malicious way, but certainly, we'll see, has some tragic consequences. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter from Aror to the entrance of, of Mineth, twenty cities, and as far as Abel caramim So the sons of Ammon were subdued before the sons of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. Now she was his one and only child. Besides her, there was no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low, and you are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. So she said to him, My father... You have given your word to the Lord, do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, let this thing be done for me, let me alone two months, that I may go to the mountains and weep because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, go. So he sent her away for two months, and she left with her companions, and she wept on the mountains because of her virginity. At the end of the two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made. And she had no relations with the man. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went yearly to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite, four days in the year. Jephthah makes the vow... Again, I, when I think through this, and a lot of times that's a, a big part of us making vows to anything, right, is we don't think through it first. What are, what are the possibilities? He obviously, when he made that vow, didn't think that his daughter would be the one that would come out to meet him. I don't know who he thought would come out to meet him, his, his favorite cow, or I, I, don't, I don't know what he thought, but his daughter comes out. Now, there are some commentators that believe that when Jephthah fulfills the vow that he actually sacrificed his daughter. I, I don't believe that for a second. First of all, God would never accept a human sacrifice. The only, the only place that would be lawful under the law was to, for a sacrifice to be made was, was at the tabernacle. And there's no priest that would offer a, a living a human sacrifice on the, taber, on the altar of God. So I don't believe that that at all what I I believe that it you know it it talks about here is that that you know that talks about her virginity that that she was then consecrated to the Lord that she was set apart for God that she would never be married perhaps even going and serving at the temple for with with some regard but because Jephthah had no other children this means this is the end of the line for Jephthah's line and so there would not be any, any grandchildren to carry on the name or, or, or anything like that. Again, I, I don't believe at all that, that this, this in, ended in, in human sacrifice of his daughter. Not to mention the fact that he is mentioned in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11. I mean, God looks at him as a, as a mighty man of faith recorded for us even in Hebrews. So. But still, tragic nonetheless. Chapter 12. Then the men of Ephraim were summoned, and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the sons of Ammon without calling us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you. Jephthah said to them, I and my people were at great strife with the sons of Ammon when I called you. You did not deliver me from their hand. When I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the sons of Ammon, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Here we see the a group of guys from the tribe of Ephraim. Now if you'll remember in our study of Gideon, we've seen these guys before with the same reaction. When Gideon had the victory, it's the guys from Ephraim that come saying, How come you didn't let us in on the action? How come you didn't call us to be a part of it? They're wanting wanting credit. They want to be a part of the victory parade. Instead of rejoicing in the fact that God delivered using using Jephthah and the men that he had, they're saying, we want want our names in the record book. We want our names in the box score. How come you left us out? Pride. Envy. Envy. I think that's the, the bigger thing. God chose to use Jephthah. God chose to use Gideon. God didn't choose to use the, the people of Ephraim. And again, instead of rejoicing in their success and how God used them, they're, they're envious to the point of where they said, We're going to kill you. We're going to burn your house down on top of you. Galatians chapter 5 gives us a list of the deeds of the flesh. Paul says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, they're obvious. "...which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God." Notice, envying is in that list. That's a, that's a, that's a pretty nasty list of, of offenses. Envying makes that list. God says if, if this describes you, if this is you, if, this, if you are an envious person, you need to be very careful. You need to check yourself. Paul says that we should check ourselves to see that we are in the faith. And if, and if, if you are overcome by envy, it's something that, that is very serious. James even says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Their their envy had gotten to the point where they were ready to kill Jephthah, the the hero that God used to save the people. Amazing what, what our flesh can do. Then Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, you are fugitives of Ephraim, O Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and in the midst of Manasseh. The Ephraimites, when the Gileadites came out, they started basically calling them refugees. You're not even part of us. You're living over on the east side of the Jordan. They weren't refugees. They chose to live over there. That was, that was their decision, to live over there. But here they come now, and they're fighting against that. And I do like the fact, again, now, that the Gileadites, remember, they're the ones at the beginning that sent Jephthah away because of his mother, now they are embracing him. Now they're defending him. Now they're going to fight for him. It says, let's see, where was I? Verse 5. Gileadites captured the fjords of the Jordan opposite Ephraim, and it happened when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to them, you are an Ephraim knight. If he said no, then they would say to him, say Shibboleth. But they would say Sibboleth, for they could not pronounce it correctly. Then they seized him and slew him at the fjords of the Jordan. Thus there fell at that time 42,000 of Ephraim. They were, they were losing the battle. The Ephraimites, when they were trying to come back across, they were, they were, they were met there, the Gileadites, and they were taking no prisoners at this time. And so they would they were they would say, "Well, we well, say say this word and they couldn't pronounce it right." Be like, you know, they're coming up and 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 we're trying to, you know, to identify the New Yorkers. And they we they come up to the river and we'd say, "Say river." And they'd say river, you know? It would <laughs> kind of the same thing. You'd be able to identify them that way. I that. So, they <laughs> But what a what a tragic! I mean, instead of again the the people coming together and rejoicing over over all that God had done, I mean it wasn't again it wasn't Jephthah that did this. God did it. Jephthah gives all the credit to God, and instead of again rejoicing and being a part of what God is doing, there's envying. I want to be a part of this. I want to be and then fighting and just the 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 bloodiest. Saddest wars are civil wars. And that's what's happening here. And when we look at it in a in a spiritual sense or or anything, I, I think some of the worst wounds, the worst fights happen within the body of Christ. When, when instead of rejoicing in, at, at what is going on over here, see how God is using somebody, there's that envy that says, I want to be used like that. How come not me? And instead of coming alongside and encouraging, it's, it's backbiting, it's, it's gossip and, and those types of things. Those things just tear away at, at the church and it's oh, how it has to grieve God. Instead of, again, everybody just rejoicing in what God is doing. Well, Jephthah, verse 7, judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. Just not to belabor the point, but I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. Remember how Jephthah's life started. Kind of, kind of on, on, on what anybody would say is a wrong note. He's got, going against all odds to, to fight through the, the labels that he had. And then at the end of his life, it doesn't even tell us what he, he, city he's buried at. You know, a lot of times they'll say in the, in the Word, they'll say, you know, that it's there, still there to this day, or, or that type of thing. The author, it, it, he didn't even record where he was buried. But I think that the that, that awesome that's in this story, again, is that how God used that man and how God sees that man. The world would look at your background and your history and the things that you've come through and the things that you've done and then how your life ended. Did you, have, you know, did you go out in style? God doesn't care about that. God just cares what you did with your life for him. And again, Jephthah recorded in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews chapter 11. His name is there. Interesting in comparison when we look at these next guys. Now, Ibsen of Bethlehem judged Israel after him. Now that's not the Bethlehem that Jesus was born in. This is a Bethlehem up north in Israel in the in the land of Zebulun. He had 30 sons and 30 daughters who gave who he gave in marriage outside the family and he brought in 30 daughters from outside for his sons. And he judged Israel 7 years. Then Isben died and was buried in Bethlehem. So we look at Jephthah No children, no one to carry on his name. This guy's got 30 sons, 30 daughters, 30 daughters-in-law, 30 sons-in-law. I mean, he's going to have grandchildren. I mean, imagine trying to keep up with all of that. Tells us where he was buried. Then, verse 11, Now Elon the Zebulonite judged Israel after him, and he judged Israel for 10 years. Then Elon the Zebulite died and was buried in Agilon, in the land of Zebulun. Now Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pith- Pithoronite judged Israel after him. He had 40 sons and 30 grandsons who rode 70 donkeys, and he judged Israel eight years. They didn't walk, they rode donkeys, and that was, that was, that was a high ride back then. Then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pith- Pithoronite, died and was buried in Pirithon in the land of Ephraim in the hill country of the Amalekites. So here, in just a few verses, we cover three, where they were born, where they died, all their sons, but nothing else. I don't know about you, but I sure want to be known more for what I did for the Lord than, than any of the other things. Interesting. Well, chapter 13, we begin our look at the last, the last judge. Of Israel, the last in the book of Judges. There's going to be more chapters after this that cover a few other things, but the last one to judge Israel, probably the most famous of the judges, that is Samson. Chapter 13 is is kind of an introduction. We're going to see that you know the the parents are, are are told that he's coming. It's interesting when we, if you, if you look at a timeline, because we're, we're not going to get to look at this for a few more weeks, but, but Samson, his contemporaries at the time that, that were alive then, the, the high priest was Eli. This is the time of, of Samuel coming in. So we're looking at that, that kind of time frame. I think it's, it's interesting when you try to just play through some things and looking at that. that, that the, the way the timelines kind of cross... We don't know how old Goliath was, but he may have been an up-and-comer when Samson was around. But he hadn't recorded in here. He was scared of Samson if he was, still, if he was around. But it's a tragic story. We're going to see, we look through this, how God so blessed him and, and used him in mighty ways. But there's tragedy throughout throughout his life. You see, the problem that just jumps off the page when you look at, at Samson is, again, as the judge, as the one that God calls to, to do this, and all the power that is given to him. He had great authority, but he had absolutely zero accountability. He didn't have an army around him. We're not even recorded that he had a bunch of friends or advisors around him. It's not recorded that he spent time in prayer and in worship. We see that he One of the prayers he's recorded is at the very end of his life when he asks for strength one last time. But just again, think of the the total missed opportunity. God is going to use him greatly, but just think of how much more could have been done if he would have done as God would have wanted him to. But I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Chapter 13 starts out a very familiar way this last time this is going we're going to see this though now the sons of israel again did evil in the sight of the lord again one last time evil is defined by god we don't go based on what the rules the world says is good and bad what the the world says is okay what the world says is evil what god thinks is all that matters they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. Now the Philistines were very advanced in their time when it came to warfare and weaponry, armor. We see when we look at Goliath how it's how his armor is described and everything. They were very advanced, especially when compared to the, the, the Israelites. There was a certain man of Zora of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had borne no children. Now, we don't, we're never told her name, but we see something about her right away here. She's barren. She cannot bear children. And in that time, that was a horrible thing to carry around with you. You were looked at, you were looked down upon. As a matter of fact, you were looked upon as though you—that God has cursed you. That is why you are not having children. And it says, though, that then the angel of the Lord... Appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Here we see that God wasn't punishing her by keeping her barren. As a matter of fact, she was barren to this point because of the hand of God. It was him that was keeping her from having children to this point. But she is chosen out of all of the women in Israel for to, to bear this son, to bear Samson. And it's interesting because being barren, not bearing fruit, there are are times in our lives when God prunes us and cuts us back. And again, there are times when that happens, when it is because that, that that he is disciplining us, but the majority of the time when we as Christians and we are walking in our life and following the Lord and we're going through difficulties, we're going through times where we're saying, God, I want to be used by you in greater ways, but we keep running into to obstacles with that and going through stressful times and difficult times, God is pruning us. But just as, as, a, as a gardener prunes back the, the bushes and the trees, it is so that they will bear greater fruit in the future. And here we see a beautiful picture of that, barren to this point. Obviously, uh, this stigma that she is carrying around with her, how much pain she probably dealt with. But God was preparing her for this moment. Now therefore, he said, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and no razor shall be upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. I think it's interesting that that word "begin" is there. All of the other judges were raised up to deliver the people f- completely from the oppressors. God says here that this son of yours, this Samson, will begin to deliver. We know that the, the final deliverance from the Philistines doesn't come until many years later by the hand of David. And I, I think that that's in no small part again because of how Samson plays out his role in it. But I do think that it's, that it's interesting that he's going to begin to deliver. He's going to begin the process. There's times when we're called to do things for God. We're called to begin things that we might never see the end of. We might never see what God is calling us to do come to full fruition. And we have to be okay with that. I know at times that's, again, a struggle. When, when you, you get something off the ground. I know I've, I've been a part of ministries before where I, I get something going and I have a real passion for what is going. And then I'm called to do something else and I need to say, all right, Lord, you're asking me to leave this with somebody else in their hands. And, and it's really difficult. It's really difficult to say, okay, I gotta, Lord, I gotta trust you know what you're doing and, and leave that because you're calling me in a different direction. I think of in that whole regard, David. David wanted so desperately to build a house for God. He wanted to build the temple. But God said, no, you just get all of the materials. You can't build it. You have blood on your hands. But your son Solomon will build it. It's not Solomon's temple. It's David's temple. David. David got all of the stuff. He just put it together. <laughs> but the... The temple. And he wanted so desperately to do that. But God said no. But you know what? David was completely content with that. And I like that. What an example. Begin to deliver. Then, verse 6, the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of an angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. You ever have one of those incidents where you're just so blown away and you walk away and you go, oh, I should have asked that. I should have, you know, probably got that information. So blown away. Then Manoah entreated the Lord. Wait a second. Didn't let, verse 7, I skipped one. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine, nor strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, from the day, to the day of his death, now the Nazarite vow was given in, in numbers it's explained in numbers chapter six. It involves again, consecrating yourself, setting yourself apart for God. Now, when that's done, normally it's by the choice of the individual, and they're doing it for a, a period of time, not a lifetime, but a period of time and it involved. It involved not cutting your hair. It involved not eating anything from the the vine. No grapes, no grape products, no drinking wine. Uh, You weren't supposed to touch any dead thing. And so Samson is supposed to be this. They're telling him, though, from the moment, actually, of conception, they're telling even the mother, you don't drink wine during this time. You don't touch that because he is being set apart right now for God. So this is very unique in this. Now again, we're going to see that Samson, even though this is what he is supposed to do from the beginning of his life, we find out that he goes to parties, that he's, that he's drinking. He, he touches a lot of dead things. Of course, a lot of them weren't dead when he got there, but he, 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 does, he, 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 dis, he turns away from some of these things. He treats them very callously. Well, again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 8, then Manoah, the, the husband, after hearing this information from his wife, entreated the Lord and said, Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. I, I love that. You know, it, here this, this information comes to him. We see in just the few verses that we've just read here that Samson had some godly parents. First of all, the fact that Manoah didn't divorce his wife because she was barren, that, that shows a godly man. In that time, that was, again, because of the stigma that was on that, that that, that was a reason for divorce, in, in, in the, that, that they would take that in the law, and they, would, and they, they could get, move on. and get. But he loved his wife, he loved God. They obviously knew the scriptures. They knew what a Nazarite vow was. And the, the the rest of Israel is doing what's evil in sight of the Lord. So they're 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 probably one of very few. But then also the first thing that he does when he hears this news is he prays. And and in the prayer, it is it is that prayer kind of like Sam or uh, Solomon's prayer in his youth. God, we need help with this. This is a huge thing that you've laid before us we need some wisdom we need some help in in understanding how to raise this child and that's great advice for all parents to be praying god help us to raise this child this child that you have given us we like to call them our kids but they're not our kids they're his kids they're on loan to us they belong to him and we need help God, teach us, show us how to raise this particular child because every one of them is different. Give us wisdom as to how to pour into this child. And that's what they go here. They know this is a special child. Give us wisdom. Help us, Lord. Verse 9, God listened. And he loves to listen to our prayers. He listened to the voice of Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? And he said, I am. I think that's kind of interesting. Manoah said, Now, when your words come to pass, I love that, he's not questioning. He's completely in faith. My wife is barren, but you said that God's going to provide. So when that child comes, when your word comes to pass, what shall the boy's mode of life be and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat anything any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Basically saying, just do what I said. It's it's all going to work out. I appreciate it, but follow what I said. Again, what God tells us. Listen to it and do it. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering then offer it to the Lord, for, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. He just thought he was a man, a messenger. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, "What is your name so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, "Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful?" Now that word, if you look over in your margin, If you have a marginal Bible, it gives you a little note there. It says, that word wonderful carries with it the idea of incomprehensible. But notice also, if you have that there, it says Isaiah 9-6. You know what Isaiah 9-6 says, right? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Same word. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is no ordinary angel. This is, again, we've seen this happen before in our studies coming up, but this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself speaking to them. (laughs) I love that too. Why do you ask me, seeing that it is incomprehensible, the answer to your question? You know, some of the, answers to the questions that we have of God are incomprehensible we can't handle the answer <laughs> we don't it's it is far beyond us Isaiah 55 8 9 God says so far higher are my ways and my thoughts than your heart, thoughts as far as the heavens are above the earth so are my ways and my thoughts above yours and, and there's times when we come across difficult situations, we come across dilemmas, and, and, this, and we're like, why, Lord? I don't understand. And he's like, why are you asking me? The answer is incomprehensible to you. Not that he doesn't want us to ask, I'm not saying that, but often we need to embrace that answer, that it's just way more than we can handle, <laughs> way more than we can know, and he's in charge, and he's got it all, all under control. So Manoah took the young goat and the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord, and he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. Same word there, wonderful wonders, same root there. For it came about, when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. <laughs> They, they put this offering there, and as, it's, as it is burning and the smoke and the fire going up, the Lord steps right into the fire and goes up. I can imagine. I mean, you'd probably get a little weak need too, seeing that happen. Because it, 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 they realized they weren't talking to a man, they weren't talking to an angel, they were talking to God. Now the, Lord, the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. <laughs> he, 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 he wasn't questioning it anymore. As a matter of fact, he thought, because as God told Moses, no one can see my face and live. Now we understand that see his glory in our state and live. So, he's thinking they're going to die. Now, I love his wife's response. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering or a grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all the things that he did. Nor would he have let us hear the things like this at this time. I love that. Wives, just take a little piece out of it. We don't know her name, but take a little page out of this. Because us, us guys, we say some really dumb stuff, and 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 if you jump on board and start criticizing right away and, and that type of stuff, it, you know, she she didn't she didn't criticize, she didn't, and this goes both ways. Just we're we're far more susceptible to the the dumb things. She encouraged him. She strengthened his faith. I. There's oftentimes, I, I, I have to say, my wife is a, a wonderful woman. She is the perfect woman for me. She strengthens my faith so often when, when my faith is, is, is weaker, when I'm doubting, when I'm, when I'm going through stuff. And she is such an encouragement to me. And we need to be that to one another because there's going to be times when, when we're all gonna have our low spots in our faith and in our walk and we need that one to come alongside, not to, you know, that, what are you talking about? No, man, God is for us. Who could be against us? Coming alongside. I, I, also, I also love this too because at times we can, we can feel like, man, God's really got it out for me. You know, things have been kind of lining up, and it's, you know, it's been kind of one bad thing after another after another, and as I mentioned, we can lose sight of the fact that God is preparing us to do something else. We could say, man, man God's just really beaten me up. This verse I have underlined because I think there's a greater meaning yet for us. If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering or a grain offering in our hands. If the Lord had desired to do evil to us, he wouldn't have accepted the sacrifice of his son on our behalf. We celebrate this Sunday that the tomb is empty. That means his sacrifice on our behalf was accepted. He wouldn't have done all of that if he meant to do us harm, to do us evil. He means he wants to bless us. And so we need to look at those things that come in our life with that understanding. He loved us so much that he sent his son. And his perfect sacrifice was accepted on our behalf. I look at these two and what, what a godly example. What, God is still looking for godly people like, like Manoah and his wife in these wicked times, in these dark times. That will just simply love God, love his word, pray, encourage each other seek the Lord. What would you have for us? How do you want us to raise our children? What do you want us to be doing? While the whole world all around us is do, going away, Lord, what do you want from us? What do you want us to do? Great great example from these, these two. Well, real quickly, a couple, couple more things, last two verses. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. Did God know all of the things that Samson was going to do? He knows all things. He knew that Samson was going to do the stuff that we're going to read, Samson does in the next couple chapters. Yes, he, Yet he still blessed him. He still chose to use him. The Lord blessed him. The Lord was the source of Samson's strength. I know we get this picture of Samson like you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or something like that. I don't think he was. I, I, I mean, I don't think he was Pee Wee Herman either. But I, 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 I don't think that, that he was this massive muscle building guy that worked out in the gym all the time. I mean, it, it, we'll see that people, they're wondering, what's the source of his strength? You know, it's God. God blessed him. God gave him the strength. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mehaden between Zorah and Ashtoreth. The Lord started stirring in him. And we're going to see that in his timing, he is going to use Samson in a mighty way. There's no doubt. And we'll get to that next week. Well, let's, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in your word in the middle of a week. Lord, we ask that you would that you would just speak to us in a very personal way as we even maybe this evening meditate on on what you might have for us individually here. Lord we we are all at different points in our walk with you. And Lord we we need to know that that reassurance that you're there. So Lord I pray a special blessing tonight for everybody here that just that they would just feel your presence that they would know that you don't desire evil for us, that you don't desire bad things for us, but you desire only good, that you want to bless us, and, and we have perfect proof of that as we will celebrate this, this Sunday. The tomb is empty. So Lord, we thank you. Lord, we pray that you would use us this week, that, that you would open up opportunities for us to share you with others. Lord, even to invite them to come to services this weekend and to hear about you. Lord, we do pray for Israel. Ask that you continue to protect her. Lord, I pray for our country, our leadership, that we would not turn our back, that we would strengthen our resolve to support Israel. Lord, protect her from her enemies. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you this weekend. Like me, and I once was a but now I'm.